And let's take a Bible and open it together to the first book in the New Testament, the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 4. And if you didn't bring a Bible, we want you to borrow a copy of the Bible you'll find on the back of the seat in front of you. It's going to be on page 682. Page 682 in our copy of the Bible, Matthew 4 and yours. A little over a hundred years ago, the great American evangelist, Dwight L. Moody, said these words, and I quote. He said, what we need today is men and women who believe the Bible from the crown of their heads to the soles of their feet. Men and women who believe the whole of it, the things they do understand and the things they don't understand, end of quote. And you know, those words are just as true today as they were over a century ago, which is why over the last two weeks in Spiritual Boot Camp Part 1 and Part 2, we've been talking about the Bible. We've been talking about the inspiration of the Bible and the inerrancy of the Bible. And just to remind you, when we say that the Bible is inspired, what we mean is that God caused the exact words that he wanted to be written down on the pages of the Bible. And when we say that the Bible is inerrant, what we mean is that the Bible, because they're words directly from God, they are without error in everything they say about everything. Now, last week, I gave you oodles of independent, external, verifiable proof that will stand behind the Bible's claim that it is the inspired Word of God. And proof that demonstrates that believing the Bible to be the inspired Word of God is an intellectually justifiable position, a position that intelligent, educated people can hold without apology. We're going to go on today to part three, and that's this. If the Bible really is what it claims to be, if it is the inspired, inerrant Word of God, then we have a very important question we need to answer. And that question is, and I know this is coming early, but I know you're not ready, so take a deep breath and get mentally ready. Here we go. The question is, one, two, three. The question is, so what? I mean, Lon, the Bible is the inspired, inerrant Word of God. Wonderful. Big whoop. What difference does that make to the way I live Monday through Saturday? That's what we want to talk about today. And I've got three so what's I want to give you. So here we go. So what number one, if the Bible really is the inspired word of God, then so what number one, the Bible has total authority. This is what Jesus said right here, Matthew chapter four. Look at verse four. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And as the inspired word of God, that's exactly what the Bible is. The Bible are the words that came from the mouth of God. And the reason it has authority is for that very reason it comes from God. We're all familiar here in Washington with executive orders. Executive orders are directives that come from the President of the United States and they have immediate authority. And the reason they have immediate authority is not because they're written on special paper with special ink. They have immediate authority because they come directly from the chief executive of the United States of America. Well, friends, the same is true in the Bible. It has 
immediate authority and absolute authority because it comes directly from the chief executive of the universe. And that's what gives it authority. Now, when we say the Bible has total authority, what do we mean? What kind of authority are we talking about? Well, first of all, we're talking about the fact that the Bible has authority over all of human society. Now, our culture may not be listening, but on the pages of the Bible, God is speaking about every facet of society here in America. Abortion, homosexual rights, pornography, faithfulness in marriage, grounds for divorce, premarital sexual behavior, business ethics, integrity in government. God has a righteous will about every single one of these issues and any nation that hopes to see the unrestricted blessing of God on that nation, any nation that wants to see God's unbroken blessing is a nation that has to take seriously the authority of the Bible and a nation that has to make the Bible the foundation not only for its system of jurisprudence, but also for all of its social policy. And you know what really bothers me as a follower of Jesus Christ? is how many people we see, politicians, who campaign as followers of Jesus Christ, but who seem to catch spiritual schizophrenia and become different people as soon as they get into office and begin making policy. Now, the halls of Congress are full of these people. The corridors of the White House are full of these people. People who carry their Bibles to church on Sunday, but then they act like the Bible doesn't even exist Monday to Saturday. Now, friends, these people have missed the point. They have missed the point. God did not write the Bible so that we could carry it to church on Sunday for our photo op. God wrote the Bible so that we could carry it into our streets, into our committee rooms, into our cabinet meetings, into our policy sessions Monday to Saturday. He wrote it so we would use it as the very fabric for the moral society we build. And he wrote, us to, he wrote it to tell us how to construct a society that pleases God and brings the blessing of God. Now, this is the message that as followers of Jesus Christ, we got to keep shouting to America. America may not be listening. The politicians may not be responding. But this is the message we've got to keep telling them that the authority for this society, if we want it to be a society that has the blessing of God, has got to be the word of God. Now, it has another realm of authority and that is not just when it comes to society as a whole, but the Bible also has total authority on the individual level when it comes to our lives as followers of Jesus Christ. Joshua chapter 1, verse 7. Be careful to obey, God talking to Joshua, all the law my servant Moses gave you for me. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left. And do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night that you may be careful to do everything that's written in the Bible. Friends, as followers of Jesus Christ, we do not have complete and unilateral control over what American society does and how they choose to live every day. But we do have unilateral control over how we as individuals choose to live every single day. And what God is telling us right here in Joshua chapter 1, as followers of Jesus Christ, is that we are to live our lives, every little detail of our lives, in conformity with with the Word of God. 
You know, over the last 20 years as a pastor here, I have, I take appointments every Tuesday. And I have a string of people every Tuesday who for 20 years have come in to see me. And almost without exception, they're in crisis. And most people don't come to see me because everything's going well. And so when I talk to them and I find out why they're in crisis, what they did to get themselves in there, I always try to ask them, well, why did you do that? Why did you make the choice that you made? Why did you decide to take the action that you took? And the answers, I, I tell you, I could predict them. The answers are all the same. Because I felt like it. Because I wanted to. Because my friends said this was the right thing to do. Because this is what everybody else does. Because it was the easiest thing to do at the time. Folks, as followers of Jesus Christ, we have to understand that the authority in our lives is no longer how we feel about anything. The authority in our lives is no longer what we want to do. The authority in our lives is no longer what our friends say, what our culture does, or what the easiest road out is. When we come to Jesus Christ, one of the single most important adjustments that we have to make as a follower of Jesus Christ is to abdicate control of our life, to abdicate authority over our life, to abdicate it away from how we feel, what we want, what our friends say, what the worst of the world does, and to accept as the authority of our life the written, inspired Word of God. What I like to hear people tell me when they come in my office is the reason I did this is because that's what God told me to do in the Bible. And interestingly enough, when people come in saying that, they're usually not in crisis. You ever see the commercial on television for Hebrew National Hot Dogs? I love this commercial. You know, it's got the big Uncle Sam on it, and he's getting ready to bite into this hot dog. And his big voice comes on the screen and says, the government says we can use non-meat fillers in our hot dogs. We can't. The government says we can do this and that and the other thing. We can't. We're kosher. And we are subject to a higher authority. I love that commercial. Maybe it's my background. I don't know. But I love that commercial. And friends, what God is trying to tell you and me is that if we are followers of Jesus Christ, we are Hebrew national hot dogs. We are subject to a higher authority than what we feel like, what we want to do, what our friends tell us or what the rest of the world does. So why as a follower of Jesus Christ do I run my business with integrity even though my competitors don't? Why as a follower of Jesus Christ do I keep my word even to my own hurt? Why as a follower of Jesus Christ do I watch my eyes and my words and my mind when I'm around members of the opposite sex? Why as a follower of Jesus Christ don't I sleep with my boyfriend or my girlfriend before we get married? Why as a follower of Jesus Christ do I tell the truth even when it's not to my own advantage? Why, as a follower of Jesus Christ, do I return good for evil and not malice and hatred and run people into the speed wall on the beltway? Why do I do that? <laughs> Only one reason. And it's not because your friends tell you to, because that's not what they'll tell you. It's not because that's what you want to do because you don't want to do that. It's not that's how that you feel because you don't feel like doing that. There's only one reason, and that is you and I are subject to a higher authority, the authority of the Word of God, and that's what God says to do, and He is in authority in our lives, not us. That's a decision we made when we came to Christ.
So what, number one, if the Bible is the inspired, inerrant Word of God, then friends, as a follower of Jesus Christ, it has total and final authority over your life. And the sooner you and I surrender to the authority of the Word of God, the sooner we will see the blessing of God on our life become unrestricted. Number two, so what, number two, is if the Bible really is the inspired and errant word of God, then so what number two is that then the Bible is the secret. It is the key to living a successful life here on earth. Joshua chapter 1, verse 8 continues, Be careful to do everything written in the word of God. That's where we left off. Then it goes on to say, For then you will be prosperous, and then you'll have success. I love what Psalm 119 says about this. Listen, David writing says, Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it day and night. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies because your commandments are ever with me. I have more insight than all of my teachers because I meditate on your statutes. And I have more understanding than even the elders of my people. Why? Because I obey your precepts. Okay, friends, so where do we go to get wisdom, to get insight, to get understanding that keeps us from making mistakes and tripping up in life? What does David say? We get it all by meditating on and following the precepts of the Word of God. Which is why Psalm 119 goes on to say, verse 105, Your Word is a light to my feet and a lamp to my path. Why? Because when you're allowing the Word of God to be your marching orders, it's like having a big old spotlight right in front of you so you don't step on anything and hurt yourself. I don't know if you've been keeping up with football, pro football, but uh, if you have, you know that the New York Jets are 4-0. Now, the New York Jets have never been 4-0. Even when Joe Namath was playing for them, they never started 4-0. Anybody here a Jet fan? Yeah, well, God bless you. It was not going to last, but they are 4-0. Now, now they, be, they went 4-0 by beating the, the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers last week. Both teams were 3-0. Tampa Bay was a huge favorite. The Jets beat them 21-17. But there was an enormous subplot happening around that game that involved a fellow named Keyshawn Johnson, wide receiver. Keyshawn Johnson had been drafted number one, their number one draft pick by the Jets several years ago. But this past offseason, they traded him to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He didn't like that. His ego was wounded. His pride was hurt. He didn't like that at all. And so all week leading up to the game, he is just dogging on the Jets, just bad-mouthing on the Jets, particularly picking on his replacement, wide receiver Wayne Kerbet, just really lambasting this guy. For example, he said, and I quote, that comparing Kerbet to him is like comparing a flashlight to a star. He said that. He also went on, because Corbett's not real tall, he called him the team mascot. Yeah. So anyway, what happened in the game? Well, 52 seconds left in the game. The Jets are behind. They have a, a halfback option. Curtis Martin rolls out, throws the pass into the end zone. Guess who leaps up and catches it for the winning touchdown for the Jets? You'll never guess. Wayne Corbett. How'd you know? How'd you know? Yeah, he did. And they won the game on that catch. You know what our, our, what our friend Keyshawn did? He had one catch for one yard. One catch for one yard. Man, it's either awful bright flashlight or awful dim star. That's all I got to say. 
He became the laughing stock of America. And, and, and friends, the reason he became the laughing stock of America is not because he caught one pass for one yard. It's because he engaged in behavior prior to the game that God told him over and over and over in the Bible was going to lead to unsuccessful living. Like what? Well, like arrogance, like a self-promotion, like uh, boasting about tomorrow, like speaking ill of other people, like shooting your mouth off. Book of Proverbs, do not boast about tomorrow because you don't know what a day is going to bring forth. You might be one catch for one yard. Let another person praise you, the Bible says, not your own lips. And the Bible says even a fool, when he keeps quiet, people think he's wise. Keyshawn? (laughs) You know, this whole ugly episode could have been avoided with all the embarrassment and all the humiliation if Keyshawn had simply chosen to do it God's way. Huh? And friends, you know what's interesting to me? is that we have people in our world today who are spending literally billions and billions of dollars going around trying to find a successful formula for living life. Walk in any bookstore. There are row after row after row of self-help books, pop psychology books, all trying to tell you the formula for how to live a successful life. Watch any infomercial, and they have for 30 minutes, they have the answer for how you live a successful life. And then there's the Psychic Friends Network, and then there's this new lady now, Cleo, with tarot cards and mindandsoul.com that you're supposed to call up. You know, and you can't even call the Psychic Friends Network anymore. They went bankrupt, didn't see it coming. Now explain that to me. But anyway, they went bankrupt. And, and the truth of the matter is, if you want a formula for successful living, if you want a formula for successful living, you don't have to go any farther than the drawer of the desk in every hotel room in America. And it's free. Because if you'll follow the precepts of the Bible, you'll never end up like he's Sean Johnson. You'll never make a fool out of yourself. You may have trouble. You may have days when you only catch one pass for one yard. But you know what? You can still be dignified and you can still keep the blessing of God on your life if you'll just live your life the way the Bible tells you to. You don't need to go spend a fortune. Just take the Bible, read the book of Proverbs and do what it tells you. Want to live a successful life? Hey, friends, so what number two is the inspired and errant word of God was given to help you do it? Use it. Use it. So what number three and finally is if the Bible is the inspired and errant word of God, then number three, so what number three is that the Bible contains the only reliable data, the truth about what's on the other side of the grave. I had two representatives just this past Tuesday come in from a local cemetery to see me. And they, they had the, all their mar- they had these wonderful marketing plans they brought in. For example, what they wanted us to do. They wanted us to buy 200 cemetery plots wholesale from them. And then we could turn around and retail them to you and keep the money for our building fund. That was one of their ideas. I was like, what? <laughs> no, 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 no. We don't do that. Then they also had this deal where, you know, if you get cremated now, I mean, a lot of people are doing that. So they built a little mausoleum now that for cremated people to put their urns in, they called it Cremation Gardens. I mean, these people had every idea in the book. I couldn't wait. I thought they were going to offer me a timeshare soon. <laughs> they, you, you know, these people were incredible. But one thing they did say that made sense. They said, you know, one of the things we're really concerned about is that enough people do not 
prearrange their funeral arrangements. And what ends up happening is they come to us, they're, they're in grief, they're in pain, they're upset, and they don't make good decisions like that. Well, i got to agree with them, that's right. But I said to the guy, you know why we don't prearrange, don't you? Because we don't like talking to people like you about this stuff. I mean, my toes are curling just sitting here talking to you guys. Nobody wants to sit here and have a conversation like this. But, I mean, they're all right. I mean, it does make sense if death is something we're all going to face and death is something we're all going to go through and we're all going to have a funeral. I mean, it does make sense, I suppose, to prearrange. I'm here to tell you something far more important you need to prearrange. And that is if you're going to die, and you are, here on earth, you better make sure you prearrange your eternal destiny. Now, that's something worth worrying about. We all better make sure of that. But if you're going to prearrange your eternal destiny, where are you going to go to get reliable information in order to do that? You're going to go to Newsweek, Time Magazine, Sports Illustrated, Mademoiselle, or Forbes? You're going to go to the Washington Post? (laughs) God help you. Where are you going to go to get reliable information to make that kind of a prearrangement? Well, if the Bible is the inspired, inerrant Word of God, then it is the source of reliable data and true information about what's on the other side of the grave so that you can prearrange. And what does the Bible tell us? Four things. Number one, it tells us that people live on on the other side of the grave. Number two, it tells us that there are only two landing pads on the other side of the grave and everybody's going to land on one or the other. One's a wonderful place called heaven. One's a not-so-wonderful place called hell. The Bible, third of all, tells us whichever one you land on... You're going to land on one of them. That's where you and I are for eternity. And fourth and finally, the Bible tells us the only way, the only way to land on the pad called heaven is through having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Trusting what he did for us on the cross to pay for our sin and give us eternal life. Now, friends, the Bible's utterly airtight on this. Jesus, John 14, verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said, nobody, now there's the key word, nobody gets to heaven unless they come by way of me. I had a man here last night, a Jewish man, who came up after the message. And he said, I was doing okay till you got to that third so what. He said, I'm pretty upset about that. He said, you know, we live in a world where we need to be trying to pull people together. We need to be trying to unify people. And instead, you get up and say something like that. All that does is push people apart. All that does is divide people. And he said, besides, all religions are taking us the same place anyway. You ought to be working on trying to pull people together. I said, well, let me respond to that and just say this to you. It's a wonderful thing to pull people together. We're all for that. But you've got to pull people together on the foundation of truth. If you pull them together on the foundation of a lie... It's inauthentic. It's not real. It's just a smokescreen. And this is truth. And whether you like it or not, this is truth, and we stand on this truth. And if we can pull people together on this truth, we'd love to do that. But we're not compromising truth in order to pull people together. Friends, the Bible, as the inspired Word of God, gives us no room to waffle on this. There is no room to waffle. And that's why we go on nine secular radio stations here in Washington every single month. And why with a little thing called not a sermon, just a thought, we tell them about the truth of the Bible. And we don't just talk about eternal life, but that's one thing we do talk about. 
And, and we don't waffle because there's no room to waffle. We've had people that turn down our ads. They wouldn't run certain of them. They say they're too narrow. They're too judgmental. They're too condemning. We say it nicely. People just don't want to hear that there's only one way to get to heaven. But there's only one way to do a lot of things. There's only one way to kill certain bacteria. There's only one way to land a plane on an aircraft carrier. There's only one way to do a lot of things in life. We don't have a problem with that. Why do we have a problem with this? Here's some of the things we say. Here's one of the spots we ran. This one some people didn't like. But this is the truth. Let's see if you like it. Where, oh, where can my baby be? The Lord took her away from me. She's gone to heaven, so I got to be good so I can see my baby when I leave this world. Hi, this is Lon Solomon, pastor of McLean Bible Church, and that's the Pearl Jam remake of Last Kiss. But the question is, is this really how a person gets to heaven? By being good? Well, the Bible says no. The Bible says that heaven is not based on works of goodness, which we have done, but rather getting to heaven is based on our willingness to put our trust in what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross as our only hope of eternal life and our only payment for sin. If you'd like to get to heaven, why not do it the way Jesus says you can do it, by putting your trust in him? Not a sermon, just a thought. That's what we tell people, because you know what, folks? That's the truth. And so what number three, very simply, is this. If you want reliable data about the afterlife, you find it right here. And what does this reliable data tell us? That the way to get to heaven is by trusting Jesus in a real and personal way. That's it. And you know what smart people do? They prearrange. They do. They prearrange their eternal destiny by doing what God says now. So whenever you get to the grave, it's all taken care of. So let's summarize. What have we learned today? What we've learned, if the Bible is the inspired Word of God, so what, number one, is that it has total authority over your life and my life as followers of Jesus Christ. And if we've got areas of our life that are still pockets of resistance, we need to run the white flag up and surrender. Number two, we've learned that the Bible is the secret, has the key to living a successful life, and people who are wise, we use it. We discover the precepts of the Bible as to how to live everyday life, and then we bring our behavior in conformity with them. And number three, and finally, the Bible, if it's the inspired Word of God, has reliable data about the afterlife, and we use it to make sure we've prearranged. Now, if you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your real and personal Savior, we want to give you a chance to do that right here. We want to give you a chance before you leave this morning to prearrange your eternal destiny. And you don't need to get up and walk an aisle. You don't need to stand up. You don't need to raise your hand. You don't need to do anything except when we, in just a moment, bow our heads and close our eyes, I'm going to lead us in a short prayer inviting Jesus to come in and to, to forgive our sin and give us eternal life. And all you have to do is sit right where you are and repeat it phrase by phrase after me. If you're ready to make that decision, to trade in all your good works and all your religious activity and instead of trusting them to put your trust in what Jesus did for you on the cross, we're going to give you a chance to do it right now. So let's pray together. If you're here with our heads bowed and our eyes closed and you're ready to make that decision, you just pray one phrase at a time right after me. Here we go. Lord Jesus, I come to you today because I want to go to heaven. I want to know that I have eternal life. I want to know that my landing pad in eternity is heaven. And so today I invite you to come into my life, 
to be my personal Lord and Savior, to forgive my sin, to grant me eternal life and a place with you in heaven. Today I trade in all of my good works, all of my religious activity. I'm not going to trust that anymore. But I'm going to trust what Jesus did for me on the cross, shedding his blood to be the payment for my sin and my ticket into heaven. I give my life to you today in Jesus' name. And Father, I pray for the folks who prayed that prayer, that you would confirm in their heart right now that a great transaction has taken place, that they have become children of God. Father, in the days ahead, begin changing their life from the inside out in such a way that they can't argue with the fact that today they became new creatures in Jesus Christ. Lord, thanks for giving us the information we need so we can prearrange. Honor what these people have done here today. And we commit them to you in Jesus' name. Amen.